0: So let's look at Matthew chapter 6 together. The title is, A Culture of Expectation and Dependency. And before we get into things, let's open with some prayer. Father, thank you so much for gathering us here this morning. It is a privilege to be here in your presence with your people. We thank you for the revelation of who you are in Holy Scripture. We thank you that, Lord, you have made yourself known to us, and most of all in the person of your Son, Jesus, we thank you for the clear expression of your love, the clear expression of your mercy. And Father, we just ask that now, Lord, as we hear your word, as we read it together, as we explore this topic of prayer, Lord, that you'd ready our hearts to receive, to respond, that we'd have active hearts that are engaging your word. And the Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to work in us, to speak to us, to shape us, to give us new desires a new vision to increase our faith for uh, the place of prayer in our lives individually and corporately. We trust you, God, and we thank you. Amen. Well, culture. Culture is a set of values, goals, practices that characterize a group of people. In other words, it's a way of life. And since Jesus' way of life was marked by prayer, eventually his disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus gave them a prayer to run with that has the ability to shape our lives today. Has the ability to create a culture of expectation and dependency. A culture of expectation and dependency that's rooted in authentic relationship and love. Well, that's the culture I I want to to form us. That's the culture that I pray uh, we have here at Local Church St. Pete. A culture of expectation and dependency. One that's rooted in authentic love and relationship with God. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6 together. We'll begin in verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans or those who don't believe, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father will not forgive your sins. We'll stop there. Two things I'm praying that we see here uh, this morning. First, that there's a culture of expectation growing out of this prayer. And second, there's a culture of dependency that grows out of this prayer. A culture of expectation, a culture of dependency. A culture of expectation. What is prayer? Let's begin there. What is it? It's talking to God. And you know, it can look uh, like sharing how you're doing, praising Him for His greatness, thanking Him for His love, asking Him for His help. It can look like a short prayer under your breath or in your mind. He hears you, by the way. It can look like an extended time of intercession for someone or a need that you have. A lot of people struggle with prayer. You know, when I sit down with Christians and I, uh, we talk about where they feel like they're, they're thriving and where they're struggling the most, the two areas where I think Christians have most commonly, at least the ones that I've talked to over the years, struggled, it's with prayer and evangelism, sharing their faith and praying. I think oftentimes we feel like we just either don't know how to pray or we feel like we're not praying enough. He says in verse 5, when you pray. There is expectation that God's people, those who follow Jesus, will pray. So when you pray, he's saying, don't be like the hypocrites. And that word is a word used for actors who put on a mask and play different roles. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to be heard and seen. Instead, he says, go into your room. Close the door. Pray to your father who is unseen. Don't keep on babbling on and on and on and on. Your father knows. He knows what you need before you even ask him. There's a lot that we can pull from this. First, we we have a God who is personal, who's involved, who sees, who knows, who cares, who acts on our behalf. One that knows our requests before they're even spoken and yet still invites us to make those requests. One who's with us in that private place of prayer where no one else is, where no one else sees us one who goes before us I'll tell say the place i like to pray the most is after my kids are in bed or they're watching tv the older ones are watching tv silas is asleep valerie's chilling out i go outside and walk around the block and just me and god it's dark it's quiet just he and i having some conversation and what i love the most is the sweetness of of just sensing his nearness his presence But a lot of people struggle with prayer. But He says in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. And you know, many of us could say this prayer by heart, at least the King James Version, (laughs) without even looking at it. It's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, we can just say it. And that's good, but it's also dangerous. I mean, have you ever said something just simply by memory only to discover what you were actually saying long after the fact? I mean, that might sound weird, but it it happens maybe when you're learning new languages or memorizing something for a test. I mean, years ago, I wrote a song that was translated into Spanish. I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to share something with you. I was in a band for several years, a rock band. Don't go go looking for it on iTunes. This is before iTunes, okay? I got some CDs for you, though, if you want some. They're up in the rafters. (laughs) That's <laughs> true. Years ago, I wrote a song, though, and, and we were huge in South America. No, I'm just joking. We, we're big in Japan. Anyway, I could keep going, but I won't. The point is this. We wrote a song, and we translated it into Spanish, and we did. We went to, uh, we went to South America, and we, we, we translated this song into Spanish, and I memorized the song by sitting down with a friend who wrote out what each word sounded like. I don't know if what I was actually singing said anything close to what I wrote. I practiced it. I went to restaurants. I talked to the waiter at a Mexican restaurant just spoke the words of my song to them. I was like, does this sound like anything to you? (laughs) I don't recommend going about your prayer life that way. Just... Sometimes, though, that's how it can feel. We're just, we'll just say, the, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What are we saying? Why are we saying it? You know, what we call the Lord's Prayer could really, and maybe it should really be called the Disciples Prayer. It's, it's the prayer that our Lord taught his disciples, and, and now it's been passed to us. He's saying, this is how you should pray. In Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples go to him and say, teach us to pray. And then he, he lays out this prayer. And we see the prayer is really divided into two. First, there's concern for God's name, his kingdom, and his will, which I've labeled expectation and anticipation. And then second, there's our needs. Give us, forgive us, lead us. And this is expressed dependency. But but notice where the, the, the prayer starts. It doesn't start with us listing out our needs. It starts with this anticipation, this expectation for God's name to be glorified, for his kingdom to come, his his will to be done. And the prayer provides a framework for us, some categories to spend time with, and each phrase can launch us into places of expressed expectation and dependency. And I love this. I was really excited to share this with you because this has shaped my prayer life over the years. Thinking through each phrase of this prayer and letting each phrase launch us into places of expressed prayer. You know, we can pray through the prayer straight. That's fine. And own it. But I, I want us to see that it becomes a framework for us to work out a lot of prayer from it. Let's explore it together that way. We'll begin with our Father. Our Father. Just those two words alone... Think of it, our Father. What is this saying? Jesus begins this way. He says, this is how you should pray, our Father. We're invited to call God Father. And we can easily forget its significance. We're welcomed into God's presence as children, as sons and daughters. And so where do we get this right? In John chapter 1, verse 12, John writes, to all who received him, or Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right To become children of God. Who gave us the right? Who gave us the right? Jesus. We have this right to all who received Jesus. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. We've been given this right to boldly approach God and call him father. And what does this really mean? Well, it means we're loved more than we'll ever really know. Because I know this. My kids cannot comprehend the love I have for them. They just don't get it. I can tell them. I can get a little teary-eyed. I can try to take them out, do good things with them, and celebrate that. They don't get it. It means we're loved more than we'll ever know. It means God will never forget us or stop caring for us, ever. It means that there is no no one more committed to our well-being than he is. You get that? There's no one more committed to our well-being than God is. He's our Father in heaven. Galatians 4, verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, which is this endearing, intimate, reverent term for Father. Okay, what's going on? The Spirit is given that we can approach God and call Him Father. That's a privilege. And it means we have His attention when we're weak, it means we have his attention when we're scared. It means when we can't even speak a word, when we can't even come to him with anything that makes sense, he's our father in heaven, and we know that, and that's where we can start. That's the starting point. Father, our father. Can we just start there? And that's what he taught us to do. And when we start there and we, we just allow ourselves to go where that phrase should send us into places of relationship, Intimacy, love, understanding, compassion, care. J.I. Packer, author J.I. Packer, he says, he's my father and he's God in heaven. He's God in heaven and he's my father. Grasp this or let it grasp you. Then tell God what you feel about it. And that will be the worship that our Lord wanted to evoke when he gave us this thought pattern. Grasp this. Or let it grasp you. I love that. I I want this phrase to to grab hold of me. I want it to, to bring out worship and a response of love and trust. Our Father. Sometimes when I'm praying, that's as far as I get. And that's okay. Our Father in heaven. In heaven. Let's not rush. No need to rush. Don't need to rush through this prayer. There's a framework here for us. We're allowing these phrases to launch us into places of prayer. It's a fun exercise. We get to do this in our own personal time of prayer. In heaven, he is sovereign. He is the self-existent God who's transcendent over all. He's high above all. His greatness no one can fathom. He's eternal, he's infinite, he's almighty. He's in heaven and he's present with us. What should this stir in us? Awe, reverence, humility. Our Father in heaven, transcendent and yet personally involved in my life. Wow. Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? Essentially, we're saying this. God, let your name be acknowledged and honored hallowed, seen as holy, respected, and revered. May we see you as holy and set apart, both in our own personal lives and in the lives of those around me in my community. So this is a personal prayer that we would see God as holy, that his name would be made holy and hallowed, revered in our own life by how we live. But it's also an evangelistic prayer. We want others to see God for who he is in all of his splendor and holiness when we talk about the holiness of god we're talking about his sinless perfection he's perfect in all of his ways in all of his judgments he's just he's good he's holy and when we think of holiness that should set in our hearts like wow he is i am not holy he is holy he is holy other he is so different than me and what does that cause what does that produce in us Well, because of the shed blood of Christ, I can approach this one who is holy other and he welcomes me in. and I've been called a son. I can call him father. But this reverence grows in my heart because I acknowledge that he is our father in heaven and his name is to be hallowed. A reorientation is called for. Reorientation is this change in focus or direction. When, when you acknowledge God's name as holy and to be honored, a reorientation in your life is called for. When we reorient ourselves, we, we usually fi- try to find our position again in relationship to our surroundings, and we slowly move forward, kind of stopping every so often to check and focus ourselves and, and think about what's happening around us, when we recognize the holiness of God, we're just kind of like, okay, what does this mean for my life then? How do I live in the presence of a holy God before his face every day? And that begins to shape us as people. Not one who, whose hand is against me, but whose hand is for me. question I have is, is that happening in your life? Is that a category for you? This reorientation. Is God shaping you? His character, who he is, is that shaping you? Your kingdom come. All right. His kingdom is this present reality, and yet it's a future hope. Let's talk about this. Christ rules in the hearts and lives of men, women, and children who trust in him. That's a present reality. We bow to the reign, to the rule of Jesus. When we acknowledge Jesus as Christ, which is a title, meaning king or anointed one, Messiah, we acknowledge his kingship, we bow to his rule, where his kingdom has come. Jesus is the king of the kingdom he proclaimed. And this kingdom that he proclaimed is a good and loving rule that he says we should treat as a treasure that's been hidden in a field, but we found And with great joy, we sell everything we have to buy the field to get the treasure. Why? Because it's what we were meant for, to live under his beautiful, loving rule. It's where we'll thrive and flourish and grow. Identity and hope is found in that. He's the king of the kingdom. And we've bowed to his rule, and so it's a present kingdom, but it's a future kingdom as well. One where when Jesus returns... Sin will be completely eradicated and done away with, every tear wiped away from our eyes. So when we pray your kingdom come, what are we praying? God, would you renew the church? Would you save sinners? Would you restrain evil? Would you heal the brokenhearted and restore those who are sick? Would you expose injustice? Because the gospel is about the Son of God beginning a new humanity, a new community, we could say, a new people, who live with him at the center. We're a new people, a new community, and Jesus is to be the one at the center. We're revolving our lives around King Jesus. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we recognize, God, you you rule in my life through your son, Jesus. And and now start with me. Do whatever you have to do. Help me to see that your rule is good. Help me not to push against or to fight you. Help me to rest in your love and your power and your your control. Help me to see your rule as a good thing, not a bad thing. Let your kingdom come in my life. Show that I belong to you through my actions, through my day-to-day interactions, through my conversations, through the way I treat the opposite sex. Let me show with my life that I'm yours. I don't belong to myself anymore, but let your kingdom come, Lord. There's a brokenness and a hope growing in my my heart for what will be. My eye is on the day when you will just completely uh, do away with this brokenness and this sin and this darkness that we all walk through and wrestle with. Let your kingdom come. Oh, this longing for what will be. It's a present experience and it's a future hope. Let your kingdom come. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, it sums up kingdom living. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled or sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Where, where are we to set our hope fully? Where should our hope be fully set on Jesus? On the grace that is to be revealed uh, or on the grace to be given when Jesus Christ is revealed. This unmerited unearned undeserved favor that will that will be ours on earth as it is in heaven he says in st petersburg as it is in heaven let your will be done lord in st Pete, in my life in my neighborhood in my school in in my workplace here in this church here in our community as we're on mission let your will be done let your kingdom come On earth, in St. Pete, as it is in heaven. And then the next phrase, your will be done. And this isn't just whatever will be will be. This, This isn't just handing our lives over to blind fate, an impersonal force. No way. This is expressed faith and love in our Heavenly Father, remember. And just to accept, it does involve accepting what he sends our way and what he doesn't send our way. And to do so with the strength and grace that he provides. Some of the most courageous, And heartfelt and faith filled prayers have gone like this. I'm scared, Lord. I don't know what the outcome's going to be. Your will be done. Your will be done. I trust you, God. We're not surrendering to blind fate. Prayer is God's chosen means, one of the ways that he brings about change and accomplishes his will. When we say, your will be done, we're participating in the change that he brings. He's allowed us to be a part of his mission through prayer. Have you thought of it that way? He's asked us to pray, and then he does great things in response to prayer. But we're not the ones in control. He's the one in control but we get to participate. We get to pray. We get to look to him. He receives the glory and we receive the grace, the guidance, the provision. So in the face of opposition, in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of grief and tears, we can pray with confidence, your will be done. Your will be done. I want us to look at Luke chapter 11. This is where Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, using this prayer. And then Luke points out, he tells, uh, he tells us something else that Matthew doesn't in, in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. First of all, this is not a true friend who comes to you at midnight and asking for loaves of bread. But we won't argue with Jesus. All right. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine on a journey, has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, "Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything." I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, it's just so funny. Uh, yet. Because of your shameless audacity or persistence, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of your father's, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay. So how many of you have kids who have gotten up in the middle of the night and asked you for something? Anybody with kids or anyone who has kids, this has happened. You're not throwing your shoe at them. I mean, you feel like it. You help them. Kid coming, crying, something, something happened. You don't even want to know what happened. It's like, oh my goodness. Because of their persistent whining, you get up. But we can be sure that God hears our prayers. We can be sure that we're important to God. And God will sometimes give us what we ask for because that is what's best for us. Other times, he wants us to be patient, and sometimes he says no. No, because sometimes we ask for the wrong thing and for the wrong reason. But God always hears and always answers our prayers, and he wants us to be persistent. That's what this story is about, be persistent. What does he say? He talks about the shameless audacity of this friend knocking on the door at midnight. And he's saying, keep coming, going to God in prayer. Keep talking to him. Keep pursuing him. Keep asking again and again and again. And we can often treat God like he's some divine waiter or genie in a bottle. Uh, That's not how we're to treat him. Instead, what if we approached him as a friend and as a father? Not as a a divine genie or divine waiter, just here's my order. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. But as a friend, here's my need. As a father, I'm I'm your your child. So everything up to this point has been filled with concern for God's name and kingdom and will. And second, we have this culture of dependency that we're longing for here at local church St. Pete. First, we saw the culture of expectation. We're calling on on God that he would be honored and glorified. His kingdom would come. His will would be done. And finally, it's a culture of dependency that we're striving for. He says, give us our daily bread. No, that's what he says. And what is this? It's what sustains us. In other words, he's saying, you are the source of life. When we pray as a family before dinner, we recognize this has come from your hand. My kids might be like, hey, uh, but you worked and then paid for it, went to Publix, and, and now it's here. But we're recognizing that all that we have has come from your hand, God. You are what sustains us. You provide our day-to-day needs. So keep me from believing the lie that all I have comes from my hands. It doesn't. It comes from yours. Give us our daily bread. And bread covers all of life's necessities. So we can put all of life's necessities in front of God. But it's easy to place our trust in other things because we have the illusion that we're in control of this category. So we put our trust in other things, what we do, our money. You know, Valerie, uh, we were talking through this, and she said, we can be so overwhelmed by the things of life and the cares of this world that we neglect leaning on, on the Lord in this way. Give us our daily bread. All that we have comes from you. Is prayer the knee-jerk reaction to all that you have? To life's, to life's, from life's circumstances to all that you have? Is prayer the response? Do you want it to be? He goes on, forgive us our debts or sin. Forgive us our sin. Is this even a category for you when you pray? Going to God this way brings so much freedom, so much freedom and grace. It also means in light of the forgiveness we've received, we have absolutely no right to hold on to other, uh, other people's sins, to, to hold sin against other people. We've been forgiven, Oh, we have no right to hold uh, any offenses or hold sin against others. So are you holding a grudge or justifying bitterness against anyone? It says, forgive each other just as uh, in Christ God forgave you. He says that in verses, uh, look, look at uh, Matthew 6 again, uh, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I mean, think about that. What? Oh, my. It's an oh, my moment. We should have, I mean, we have a lot of those when we're reading Scripture. Look with me in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. As followers of Jesus... Uh, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's saying, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Well, there's the motive. We've been forgiven our sin. How could we not forgive other, other people when they sin against us? We've been forgiven a debt we could never pay. How could we not forgive those who sin against us. So can you pray this from your heart as we have also forgiven our debtors? Can you pray this prayer from your heart? There's some heart work that's going on, I know, in all of us. Finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. Uh, Listen, it's not if, but when temptation comes. So this prayer is helping us see what's really going on. It's helping us see the protection that we need from the danger that's just around the corner. Oh, it's just around the corner. So God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so we get to take this prayer and now run with it. This framework, this beautiful prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and now we've received, we get to run with and own and adopt as our own. Colossians says, devote yourselves to prayer. Jesus left us an example of prayer, not simply just to marvel at, but to follow. we could talk about all the time that jesus spent in prayer he prayed in the early morning while it was still dark he would often retreat to a desolate place to pray he prayed at times of intense ministry and before making uh, major decisions he prayed with regularity and honesty for himself he prayed for others he prayed for you and me jesus was a man of prayer and if we're going to follow the way of jesus we need to be a people of prayer So what happens when we pray? Our relationship with God is strengthened. Salvation, healing, deliverance, holiness, growth, joy, faith, all of these things come. But we will never just all of a sudden be great at taking time to pray. It doesn't just happen. So in order to pray, we have to pray. intentionality, discipline. We think of it like that. It takes intentionality and discipline, but what if we add to that relationship and love? I need to be intentional with the time I spend with my wife. Life can get very busy. We can assume we're connecting. If I'm not intentional and disciplined, we're probably not going to have a lot of that quality time we need. But what's really behind it? the intentionality and the discipline, relationship and love. So do you feel weak in the area of prayer? It's okay, bring them that weakness. Do you feel when you pray, like, what am I doing? I feel so, oh, it feels uncomfortable, I don't even know. Just start, start with this prayer. Let these phrases launch you into places of expectation and dependency. We have to remind ourselves of its importance by modeling it for one another, And so step out, lift your voice, come to a prayer gathering that we have. We have two. Uh, We have one every Sunday at 9.15 here in the back, and then we have one on the second Tuesday of every month uh, at seven o'clock at a a different house. We always announce where. Come out. Let's pray together. Get up early. Take some time. Go on a walk. Use Matthew chapter six as a model. Look at other New Testament prayers. As we close this morning, I want to remind us one year ago, about one year ago, we started Local Church St. Pete with some core desires. Just wrote out, what are our desires? What do we want to see happen? What are we going to move forward as a church? Uh, what do we want to look like? And I want, I want to remind you of that first core desire that we've, we've really been striving to walk in. It's this, expectation and dependency. Dependency. And it says, we believe God will do great things for our good and his glory. We want to trust him and lean on him through prayer in every way. That's it. What will God do if that marks us as a community? Well, he'll show himself faithful. I know that. And he already has. I'm super excited about this. I hope that you feel more equipped than ever to go into times of private prayer, shut the door, go on the walk around the block, do whatever you gotta do, and let this prayer just provide a framework for you, send you into places of expectation and dependency. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for this prayer. Thank you for this bold, audacious access that we've been given. We call you Father, Father in heaven. Thank you, Lord, that we can do this, that we can boldly approach your throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. You've called us to this, and it's gonna take work on our part, but Lord, help us to root it in the relationship that we have with you as a love response, as a desire to walk in the way of your son, Jesus. Do that, we pray. Shape us that way, we ask, in this new year. Amen.